Hey, good morning, good morning. I hope you guys are doing great. I hope uh, the weather is beautiful where you are and uh, things are good. I got to spend a few days down in the Keys with my buddy George, Adrian, catching some amazing fish and just having a great time on that beautiful blue and green water. So, so gorgeous. We're talking about when God steps in. That's our new series, When God Steps In. And hopefully as God steps into our life, we are stepping with him. We are keeping in step with God. That's the goal of our life is to walk with God. But when God steps in, lots of unbelievable, miraculous things begin to happen when the Lord is a part of your life and my life and we let God have his way in us. He's not going to beat the door down. He's not going to force us to do anything uh, that, that he wants us to do. But when we let God, when we ask God, God, be a part of our life, be a part of my day, God will go to work and he'll step into your situation and your life and he will do miraculous things beyond your belief and comprehension. It's just amazing. When he, when he steps in, power is displayed. And what God does is when he comes into your life and he steps into your life and he begins doing things, what he brings with him is a lot of powerful things like peace and healing and comfort and vision and direction and clarity and, and, and forgiveness and grace and mercy and so much more. Like when God is a part of your life, unbelievable things become a part of your life. When God steps in, truly, 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 I tell you, miracles happen. Miracles happen. Have you ever experienced a time when a miracle of God happened to you up close and personal? Like, like you were in a situation and there was no way that anything that anyone could do would bring about what needed to happen and somehow God just brought it about? I mean, if you've been in that situation where you have witnessed a miracle of God, whether it's in your own life from day to day or, or if it's, you know, over in another country and you're on a mission trip or wherever you are serving the Lord at the soup kitchen or wherever you're engaged in kingdom work, you know, God has done something miraculous. I've seen a number of things that I just was just blown away by because there is no explanation other than than God. When he steps in, miracles happen. And so we talked about the creation uh, last week. In the beginning, in the beginning, you know, there was nothing. There was absolutely nothing. Darkness. And then God stepped in. Like there was just this black expanse of whatever, the universe, the galaxy, whatever, before time, there wasn't a title for it, I guess. But there was nothing, and then God began to create, like the heavens, and the galaxies, and the stars, and the earth. It's just a lump of clay, and God is like forming it, and shaping it, and molding it. Days, and seas, and waters, and light, and stars, and vegetation, and all the things that we look around and see today. At one time, there was nothing, and God made it all. Well, our story from Genesis, the beginning, begins to unfold. And, and as time goes on, God is going to constantly be around and he steps in. Like 
He set things in motion, but he isn't a God who has just like, like gone on vacation, you know, and he's been on vacation for the last 10,000 years or 8,000 years, whatever the, the length of time has been. He is engaged. He's actively involved in the creation, in people. And every once in a while, he'll step in to our situation or to our, our history, our lives as, as mankind, and he'll do something amazing. Well, as time goes on in Genesis, what happens is man begins to increase in numbers on the earth. Hundreds of years after Adam, and Adam lives to be 900 and something years old, and, and people are born, and the creation begins to um, uh, increase in people, human beings. And everything's, everything is um, uh, uh, giving life after its own kind, the seeds and the vegetation and the plants and the trees and the birds and the, the sea creatures and, and people after their own kind. No evolution process, okay? This is God created everything and it produced other things like after their own kind. That's very biblical. There's no other way about it. Any other way about it is not biblical. It's just uh, man's desire to somehow include science, which has to have an answer for everything. And with God, we just got done saying, there isn't always an answer for everything. God can do whatever God wants. That's why he is God. He is not science. He is God. And uh, God can do whatever he wants. And science, science's job is to show what God has done. Because God has done it. Science's job is to, to see what God has done. To see the creation as God has done. And at times, there is no explanation. And so we just say, it's God. It's God. That's what it is. It's God. But other things there are very good explanations for. We can study all kinds of stuff and learn from science just as well. But when science tries to play the part of God, there's a mess in the making. Well, what happens is evil, as people increase in number, evil begins to increase and prevail as well. Since Adam's sin, remember Adam and Eve's sin, and they get they get booted out of the garden, and then Cain and Abel, and Cain murders his brother. And so there's a lot of this like downward spiraling going on from, since the creation when God made everything beautiful and then and then man was kind of like given the reins and what do we do with the reins well we do what we always do we ruin it we destroy stuff we become selfish and proud and and just arrogant and we just want things the way we want them and and so trouble begins to plague the earth and in Genesis chapter 5 what happens is God saw the wickedness of men on the earth and God was grieved. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, God was sorry and grieved that he had made man on the earth. And so here's the deal. Noah is living on the earth at this time. And uh, Noah's just like going about his business. He's just living his life. This is, you know, after Adam. And Eve and the population begins to increase with 900 years. That's that's a lot of years to begin to increase the population. Well, when Noah is 500 years old, 500 years old, Noah, he's living with his wife. He's got his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the Bible says that Noah is a righteous man. The Bible says that he is blameless among the people. And the Bible says that Noah 
walked with God. Now, you think about the timing of all this, when God calls Noah to do a task and Adam. So from Adam lives 930 years, Noah is now, Noah, Noah is now 500 years old when God calls him to build an ark. And so if you add those two dates together, you get about 1400 years from the time Adam was created, his birth, the year zero, and the time Noah builds the ark. And so 1400 years later, that's, you know, this country is what, uh, over 2000 years old. So almost as long as we've been a country, are we talking from Adam's birth to Noah building the ark? So 1400 years, it's a lot of generations. Mankind is spread out, people are everywhere, and the wickedness seems to just increase. And then God steps into Noah's world. God, God steps into his world like he hadn't done in a while, right? And God steps in and, and Noah's life is like turned like really, really on its head, upside down, just crazy. You could, you could even say that the, the entire earth, everything that Noah knew was washed away in this event of God stepping into his life. So here's the really neat part of, of Noah. This is one of the neatest things about Noah is that when God is going to make a move, when God is going to take a step into somebody's life. Now think about this for you and myself. When God is going to do that, when he needs a job done, a big job done, check it out. He looks for a person, somebody who is already walking with him. This is so important that he looks for somebody who is already engaged with him, loving him, worshiping him, crying out to him to be used by him, seeking to do the will of God, walking with God, a righteous person, doing things God's way. When God looks for somebody to do a big job, to step in in a mighty way, God looks for a person like Noah, free to serve and free to answer the call. That's really important. If your life is so busy and you're letting stuff into your life that you know shouldn't be in your life, you're walking in the gray areas of this world. Like, like we know what the dark and the evil is and most of us stay away from those things. And we, we also know then what is good and righteous and pure and holy. But then there's this whole lot of gray. And if, if we're walking in the gray, we're playing games with God. We're playing with fire, walking in the gray. Stay away from the dark and the evil and stay away from the gray. Stay in the light where God is light and, and truthful and where everything you do is to honor God, not to get as close to the dark line as you can possibly get. Stay out of there. Whatever you're doing in your life, whatever's going on in your life that you're doing that you know is, 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 is iffy, it's wishy-washy, it's riding the fence, it's close to you know, sinning as you could get without officially sinning. Stay away from that. This is Noah. He is living in the, the light of God's life. He's righteous. God sees him and God calls him because people like that are spiritually waiting. They're waiting. Here's what they are. They're spiritually waiting. They're biblically aware. In other words, they know scripture. They know God. They know what God is like and how God 
would respond in, in the things of God, they know, and they are getting and staying prepared. It's like, it's like that person that is on the team, but maybe on the bench, and if they're not ready, when their moment comes to get in the game, they're going to blow it. But that person who's on the bench working just as hard as the starters, and they're prepared, and they're ready, and they're just waiting for their moment, and when they get that moment, they are, they are ready to go. That's how God wants us to be, like ready, on deck, ready to go, ready to serve. We are living the life that God wants us to live, not doing whatever we want, but doing what God wants. So think about it. When God steps into people's lives, right? They, they were already busy people doing life, one eye on the grind of life that they live to provide for their families, but also one eye on God. Waiting, expecting, looking forward to, hoping that God will do something major in their life. If you can think about the prophets, these are men that God called that were already active, walking with God upright, blameless, right? Men of the word. You think about the apostles. They were all busy doing life, fishermen, tax collectors, all kinds of things. But they, they knew the word. They knew that God would send his son. They were waiting for that to happen. One was a doctor. One was a tax collector. One, several of them were fishermen. One of them knew, uh, had a sword and he knew how to use it. And the other uh, kept the money bag and he knew how to spend it. And so these were guys who were busy in life doing stuff. They weren't just sitting around doing not, nothing. They were, none of them were lazy. None of them were like kicking back with a six pack around a fire singing, sitting by the fire, drinking beer, talking God, amen. That, that is not what the prophets and the apostles were doing when God called them. God isn't looking for somebody sitting around a fire, drinking beer, getting drunk, talking about God. That's nice. You can talk about God all you want. The problem with talking about God when you're drunk is usually nobody remembers what you talked about. God isn't looking for a person like that. He's looking for somebody who is upright and their both eyes are on him. They're, they're looking to God. They're waiting on him. And they want God to do something crazy in their life. All that God called, all of those that God called, all that God used in a mighty way were already moving with God doing life, and today God called Noah. Because Noah is that kind of guy that was waiting for God to step into his life. And in Genesis 6, God steps into his life, and look what the scripture says. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, because of people. I am surely going to destroy, destroy both them and the earth. This is powerful. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. And this is how you are to build the ark, right? This is how you are to build it. And God lays out the instructions exactly how he wants Noah to build the ark. And so Noah's got these blueprints and he goes to work. They are specific in details. 
It is a huge boat about the length of a football field and a half. I mean, this is a huge boat. Can you imagine walking into a stadium to watch a football game and there is a boat sitting in there and it's the length of the field and it goes out of the end of the stadium and it keeps on going. That is incredibly big. That's a huge boat. That's incredible. And Noah does it. So Noah, God comes to Noah and he's like, Noah, I know you're, you're busy just living your life. You know, you're just going about the daily ground, grind. You have your own little, you know, world, your own family. You've got your own job. You've got your own sheep. You've got all your own herds. And you're just going about life. You love the Lord. And people like you, Noah. People like you. So you're the perfect candidate to do something big for God. That's what God is thinking, you know? And God is like, but Noah, you need to kind of brace yourself because there's a flood coming and I need you, Noah, to build a huge boat. Now, if you think about this from Noah's day, like we understand a flood and we understand boats. But in Noah's day, not sure he understood any of that. Do you imagine Noah like, Lord, whoa, what's a flood? And what's a boat? Like, what, what are you even talking about? What is this? And God says, you know, just follow these simple directions. Follow these just simple little directions and uh, you'll be fine. And in chapter 6, verse 22, the end of that passage, the scripture says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah does exactly, this is probably the most important part about Noah and his faith. Noah does exactly what God said to do, and get this, because of that, he is saved. He's saved because he did what God said to do, exactly. No cutting corners, no, you know, swerving off into my own direction. Because this is what God said to do. Just do this and you will be saved. That's it. It's as simple and powerful as it gets. Just simply trust and obey God. It's just that simple. You know, know what God says. It's for me and you. Know what God says and just do it. That's it. It's really not that hard. Don't make it complicated. Leave the gray out. Leave the dark out and leave the gray out. Just do what God says to do. And through Noah, God preserves the human race. Yeah, he wiped out a lot of people, but he preserves the human race. He refreshes the entire planet and he washes it clean. And mankind now, even though most of it was wiped away, now mankind has a second chance. Really more than that. But, but in Noah's time, it's a second chance. And through Noah, God saves all of mankind. The story of Noah teaches us, you know, a number of things. If you think about all that's going on with the world at the time and God calling Noah and what Noah does and what God does and how that impacts the rest of the, the creation and the world and the future is just in, incredible. But here's the thing, the story of Noah, Noah teaches a lot of things, 
but it's critical critical learn to learn uh, from our past you know that we learn from the past that that's one of the most critical things that we could take out of the story of Noah that we learn from the past and that we don't repeat the past and we learn what God was doing in Noah so that we don't do the same things today it also it teaches us how God feels about evil it teaches us how God feels about sin and corruption and disobedience the, the story of Noah teaches us how God views the wickedness of our world right he wiped mankind off the planet all but Noah and his family everyone else is gone like 1400 years of of, of generations all wiped away because of their wicked evilness I mean what it teaches us is that God is against sin he is totally against evil and he will he will nip it when he's ready to nip it in the bud he will nip it out now God's against sin and you and I know what that means that's that those, those fleshly lusts that we have, right? The, the desires that we want what we want. We see things, we taste things, we gotta have things, right? We gotta have it. We gotta quench the thirst of the flesh. God, God is against sin he is against evil the thing that I do Paul says that I don't want to do and I keep on doing that sin God is against that behavior and we say the devil made me do it that sin God is against you know God is against evil he is against sin and in uh, the book of Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 to 18 uh, the scripture says this it's pretty intense about how God feels about sin it says there are six sins or six things that the Lord hates seven that are detestable to him that's powerful language God does not want sin in our lives there are six things that the Lord hates that's strong language a seventh that are, are detestable to him. And here they are, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, the gray, you know, moving in the wrong direction, a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in their community. Now these things are big things and there's a lot of things that are like sub points to all of these things. But these are the things that the Lord hates. Six things that the Lord hates. God hates sin. Seven that are detestable to him. They are an abomination, abomination to him. And in Noah, what we see is God cares about mankind, but God will not tolerate sin. He won't tolerate it. He will let it go for a little bit to see if we're going to correct ourselves and, and come back to him and repent of our wickedness. He will give us a window of opportunity, but at some point, God is going to say enough is enough. You know, like your father did. Like if I have to come up there, that's what my dad would say. If I have to come up there, you boys are all going to be spanked. And like he'll say that maybe a couple times, but if we kept carrying on, sure enough, he'd be up there. 
And we wouldn't like what he was uh, about to do. God is much like that. You know, our father, our, my father, he taught us that, you look, I, I'm going to give you a second chance, maybe a third chance, maybe a fourth chance, but then at some point I'm going to con be consistent. I am going to do what I say I would do, and that's exactly how God is. He does what he says he will do. He has mercy, he has grace, he has love for all of us, but he will not tolerate sin. He will not. And, and here's the thing, it's not the presence of sin that much that he hates, even though he hates sin and he hates evil, he does. It's not the fact that sin is available to us as humans. It's more than that. I mean, because he's been dealing with the devil for a long time. And he knows, God knows, this is where sin is originated in, in the devil, the rebelliousness of the devil. And so it's not just the presence of evil on the planet because the devil is responsible for that. He's the manipulator of sin. He's the father of lies. He's the father of evil. He's the one who tempts us to do evil. So God knows where the source of the evil is coming from. And it's not that that God hates about, about it for us. God knows. God knows very well that you and I are in a spiritual battle as we live on this planet for our soul. Satan wants to kill and steal our soul, destroy us. What God hates more than the presence of evil on the planet, because it's here, what he hates more than that is our participation in the devil's rebellion. That we in any way would join hands with Satan in our rebellion toward God. Like we would never, most people would never say, I'm going to join forces with Satan and, and rebel against God. But when we sin, when we do what we know we shouldn't do, when we know we do, when we do things that we know God said don't do, when we wander into those gray areas of this world that the devil has created to move us closer to the dark areas of when we start moving in that direction, we are indeed locking arms with the devil and rebelling against God. And none of us want to do that. None of us willingly do that. But we either subconsciously do that or we just allow ourselves to go. God wants us to stand. He's given us everything we need to stand. And he hates evil. He hates when we participate in evil. You know, that lack of desire or that lack of discipline to honor God and the ease to which we are so easily tempted. I mean, we're so easily like lured away. So easily. The God who loves mercy, the God who loves justice, the God who loves harmony is also the very same God who hates sin and evil. And we see this in the story of Noah. God does not wink at sin like, like people do. Do something evil, do something wrong, do something bad, and wink at it. Like, that's cool. God does not wink. He's not cool with sin. He's not for it in any way. He doesn't laugh at it. He doesn't go along and play around with it. It is direct rebellion against him and he is offended by evil and sin. When we jump into that, we are offending God. God, his truth, his truth reveals every lie. 
right? He doesn't wink at sin. His light exposes darkness. He is the opposite. His word is sharper than any sword and penetrates thoughts and motives, good ones and bad ones. His name is greater than any other name and his son has destroyed the devil's power and plans. God is completely against Satan. They are on opposing teams. There's only the two. And when we lock up with rebellion and evil, we are not walking in the light of God. We are moving toward the darkness of evil. That's not cool with God. And here's the truth. Here's the truth. Satan's tools of sin, as big as they are, as powerful as they are, as many as they are, as, as many as they take people under, and we watch people walk off the cliff with the devil every day, Satan's tools of sin are no match for our God. Satan does not stand a chance. When we walk in God, Satan doesn't, he can't touch us. When we wander toward the dark side, when we wander in the gray, we are putting ourselves in a valley and we're walking away from the power and the presence of God and we are putting ourselves in trouble. He will pounce all over you if you don't stay close to God. The only hope you and I have is that our presence is in the presence of God and then by God's power and by his might and by his grace and by his spirit are we safe. You walk away from that, you're in trouble, you're done. You will be destroyed. You'll be destroyed. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord, that's a key part of, of walking with God and staying away from evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate, God says. You want to you wanna walk close to God? Fear the Lord first. Stay close to God by, by fearing God. Not so much what God will do, but what will happen if you walk away from God, if you step out of his presence. You know, we live in a very post-Jesus period, right? Like Jesus already came the first time. We're waiting for him to come the second time. But, but we're living in a post-Jesus first coming time, right? We've got creation. We've got Adam. We've got Moses. We've got the prophets. We've got the apostles. We've got the scriptures. We've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. we got all this. we got Jesus coming, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, conquering death and the grave, going back into heaven. And now we're just waiting for this second coming of Jesus, right? We live in a post-first coming of Jesus. So we live in a great time. The apostles, you know, they lived during Jesus' time. The prophets, they lived before Jesus' time. But we have it all. And we love to, 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 to bask. We love to bask, to roll around in the grace and the mercy of God. We talk about that a lot. We love the mercy of God. Oh, wow. We love the, the grace of God. His forgiveness is so huge and wonderful. We love to worship. We love to sing about his love and his kindness. And all of that is so, so very good. It's so very good. It's so wonderful to just feel, you know, the presence of God and the joy that we get from knowing he loves us so much. But we must never forget. We must never forget God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And even though we live in this post-Jesus grace period of time, we must never, never forget that Adam and Eve were tossed out of the garden because of their sin. 
and Noah built this humongous boat and everyone was washed away but Noah and his family because of their sin. And God chose one group, Israel, out of all the nations of people. The rest were outside. They were the promised children. The rest were left on the outside looking in. Why? Because of their sin. And Jesus came and was sacrificed on a cross. Why? Because of our sin. God does not wink and God will not tolerate sin. Sin is very real and it has the power to take down anyone. God is the only thing, he's the only one, greater than sin. And in him and him only are we able to stand our ground and have victory. Only in Jesus. You can't do it on your own and you can't do it with somebody else. It's not going to happen. I love what C.S. Lewis said in uh, one of his letters, uh, in a response to his letters in the Screw Tape Letters, it says this, somebody wrote and said this, perhaps the most enduring lesson to be learned is that diabolical lies can be resisted and refuted by steadfastly holding on to the truth of who God is. He says the only way you're going to stand against the devil and his schemes and his attacks and his temptations, the only way you're going to do that is by steadfastly holding on to the truth of who God is. You hold on to God with everything in you. Don't go into the gray area. Stay away from all that. You hold on to God with everything in you and who we are in him. In Jesus, we are his children. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are his people, his children, sons and daughters of the king. Only in Jesus, though. Only in him. Outside of him, we are not. In him, we are. And by being knowledgeable and vigilant to oppose the devil's schemes. Be aware of how he attacks you. Those temptations that lead you into the gray are not good for you. Don't do them. And you know what they are. And we're not talking about murdering people. We're not talking about robbing banks. We're talking about the nice, subtle little ways that the devil just slow cooks us toward evil. Those little things that we do, maybe in the way we talk, maybe in the things we indulge in, parties we go to, things we put in our body. You know, in eternity, none of those things matter, but in this life, they do. Because in this life, those things are tools in the hands of the devil to lead you away. Most of them aren't evil in, in and of themselves, but, but they are key tools in the devil's hands that lead people into gray areas and then eventually into the dark. He says, be knowledgeable, be vigilant to oppose those devil's schemes. And then he says, through prayer, through scripture, through prayer, through scripture, reading, knowing the word of God, through worship, and most of all, the company we keep, the people we choose to hang around. So important. My mom used to always say, birds of a feather flock together. You know, that's just ingrained in my head. She's right. You hang out with druggies, you're going to probably start doing drugs. You hang out with party people, you're going to be partying and you're going to be doing the things they do. You hang out with the wrong crowd, you're going 
you're going to end up doing the wrong thing. That's just the way it is. That's a biblical concept as well. Bad company corrupts good morals. When God steps in, something is about to happen. When God steps into a life or into a situation, something is about to happen. It's going to be big. Just ask Noah. Salvation is about to happen. The washing away of sin and the refreshing that can only come through Jesus is about to happen. Check this out. 1 Peter chapter 3 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, made alive in the spirit, or made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. That's a bizarre thing. In the spirit realm, Jesus went and preached to those who were imprisoned after death because of the lives they lived like this. Verse 20, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built and people were laughing at Noah, mocking him because he's building this big boat and who knows what that is and he's talking about a flood and who knows what that is. They thought he was a lunatic. He was out of his mind. In it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water, the flood. And this water symbolizes baptism. Get this. Don't miss this. That now saves you also. This is Peter writing in the New Testament, talking about Noah in the days of old and a flood that washed the earth and cleansed it from sin and wickedness. And now he's comparing that to the baptism that we have in Jesus and how this baptism now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Jesus, Jesus. Just like Noah. When God steps in, here's what we learned from Noah, and then we tie this to the New Testament, and what we learn is this. When God steps in, salvation power, the salvation power of God is at work. Salvation. Salvation. And Noah, the salvation of the planet, the saving of his family, and the wiping out of all evil and sin. And God starting afresh, starting new with a new family. Was Adam and Eve? We blew it. Now it's Noah? How do we do? Salvation. It's the, the cleansing of our soul that is available for you and me. And, and this cleansing, the only, it's the only power, uh, only agent, the only agent, scrubbing agent, powerful enough to remove sin. Right? That's what's offered in Jesus. This, his blood is the only blood. There is nothing else on the planet that can wash away your sin. Only the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. His sacrifice can wash away sin. You need Jesus to wash away your sin so that you could come back into a relationship with God. The sacrifice of Jesus is powerful enough to make us right with God. There is no other name. There is no other person. There is no other teaching. There is no other remedy. There is nothing else that can take away your sin other than Jesus. 
and make you right again with the Father. When God steps in, when he steps in, the salvation power goes to work. And you and I are invited to enter in. We're invited like to enter in into this, this relationship with God. It's not a religion. We're not invited to religion. We are invited to have a personal relationship like God wanted with Adam and Eve. He wants with you and me a personal relationship. It wasn't about doing certain things and not doing other things. It was about loving God so much that we just want to do what God wants. And the word of God helps us to understand what God wants. And so we're going to do it because that's what God wants. Faith and obedience. That we would act like his children. Not like the, the, the wickedness of the world. Colossians 2 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily. All of God is in Jesus. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. When we come into Jesus, we have the fullness of God in us. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed with human hands, not the Abraham circumcision to a male, your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. The circumcision of the heart. Having been buried, here it is again, with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Who raised him from from the dead. When God steps in, your most, my most important need is taken care of. Our greatest obstacle is crushed. Evil is overcome. Grace covers all our sin. We can have complete restoration when Jesus comes in and washes us clean like he did in the days of Noah and he washed the earth clean like he does in Jesus and his blood that washes us clean. And that cleansing power is available to you and to me, to anyone, any, any person on the planet, doesn't matter what color or nationality you are. In Jesus, we can be washed clean. Salvation is, is offered to all of mankind, Jesus, Jesus Christ, he did his part. He did his part. He died on a cross for you and me. And he did the hard part. Jesus did the hard part. He paid the penalty for the sin of all mankind. He paid for it. And he provides for you grace and mercy and forgiveness by his death on the cross and the power of the resurrection. Grace is offered to you freely. Here's the grace of God. God offers it to everyone and anyone freely. You can't work for what Jesus did for you. There is no work you can do. We simply respond to the work that he did. We must respond in obedience and in faith, just like Noah did. Believe, repent, and be washed clean of your sin. As the earth was washed clean of wickedness in the days of Noah, so you and I can be washed clean in the watery grave of baptism in Jesus. To Nicodemus in John 3, Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. 
Noah lived in very, very evil days. Wickedness, rebellion, hate, separation from God. And then God stepped in, and I hope he will step into your heart and your life. I hope you will invite him in. If you've never been, if you've never given your life to Christ, if you've never said, Jesus, I need you in my life, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that God sent you to die for my sins. I accept you as Lord. I hope, I hope that you will reach out to him and cry out to him. And then I hope you'll repent and turn, change, walk away from the gray and walk toward God. Just keep moving toward God in your life every day more and more. And be immersed into Christ. You must be baptized. You must be washed. It's a biblical teaching. This is how we respond to God. This is how we respond. We believe. We repent. We're immersed into Christ. And we live our lives from then on in faith and obedience to him and to what his word teaches us. Not because by doing this we are saved, but we're saved by Jesus and we want to do this because we know this is what's going to honor God. This is the instructions for life for you and me. How to live. That's why we want to do this. We don't do this to earn anything. We do this because we love God and he loves us. And I want to do what he said because he died for my sins. Father, watch over us. Draw us close to you. I pray you'll reach out to anyone listening today and you'll just draw them to a decision to give you their lives, to repent, to believe, and to be immersed into Christ. God, we love you so much. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could do anything, please reach out. I would love to help you move toward God in any way possible. I really would. God bless you guys. Have a great week. See you.